You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Abbott. We are joined this week by FA Cup winner and Irish World Cup star, Terry Phelan. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Down the Pub Pod and on Twitter at Down the Pub Pod C1. You can check out our store at redbubble.com to search for Down the Pub Podcasts to check out our line of merchandise. Don't forget to head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now on with the show. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub Podcast. Uh, we are joined by an Irish legend, I guess, uh, yeah. FA, FA Cup winner and uh, former Republic of Ireland international, Terry Phelan. Welcome to the show, Terry. Thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to it. So uh, now we're here. We'll, we'll crack on and have a bit, of a, a, a bit of a laugh and a bit of fun. Yeah, let's hope so, anyway. So if anything if I gets too serious, man, just let me know and I'll... Uh... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so uh, first question I have for you is uh, you're, you're in India. Is that, how are things over there? Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like everywhere else in the world that with this uh, this virus, which causes a lot of trouble at this present time. We just have to be make sure we're safe. You know, we do the we have the right protocols in place and we do the right thing. But on on uh, on the good point, it's uh, it's been fantastic for me, India. I've been here five years now. I, I did my first in around about two thousand and nine to two thousand and twelve when I first landed in India. I've been here five years. I used to live down in Kerala. Uh, so I was technical director for the child, uh, sorry, uh, Carola Blasters. And then, uh, obviously, I've just moved up to Bangalore last year. This time last year, I moved up to Bangalore for a big new project. Uh, South United Football Academy, we're building a big uh, infrastructure, a big academy. Uh, obviously, it's still ongoing now. We're, we're just, I'm just twiddling my fingers, biting my nails, <laughs> biting, biting my toenails just to get on the green grass with the, with the students and get going. So, yeah, it's great. It's very diverse, India. Uh, and I would say to anybody, come and visit it because you'll, you'll just see amazing things. And every state is completely different. The food, the language, everything. Yeah, um, my, my, wife's, uh, my wife's friend owns a shop here in Halifax in Canada. And they, yeah. sell, they sell stuff from India. So every year she gets to go for like two months to go, just to go shopping pretty much. And then brings stuff back yeah. to Canada and she loves it. Well, if she ever if she ever comes over again, just drop me a message and I'll show her some of the, the best places about where she can go shopping. Depends what she's shopping for. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so as you said, you're technical director there at uh, South United. Yeah. Um, so, tell yeah. us a little bit more about the the club and the the role that you have there. Well, yeah, it, it come about last year, really. Uh, obviously, coming back from uh, Carola, and I come up here. You know, I fancied a new challenge. Uh, I spoke to the the owner Sharon. I spoke to the CEO, uh, Mr. Pranav and Mr. Sharon, and you know they showed me around the ground. I was just blown away with the infrastructure what he was building, and we need more infrastructure like that in in India. Uh, they told me what the project was about, long term, which which I did like. And really, yeah, it's it's not now. We we had the first team; they finished. Obviously, now we've got this virus, so I haven't been able to start the academy up because of obviously. Uh, you know, getting students in, getting coaches in. So that's been a, a bit of a delay, bit of a bit of a pain in the backside, to tell you the truth. But listen, <laughs> we've just we've just got to sit out and 
hopefully it goes away and we can start uh, getting some normality about in, in the sport, especially in the, uh, the community sectors, the youth sectors and the academy sectors. Hopefully we can do that. You said there about like um, that you're starting the academies and all that kind of stuff. That seems to be a, a passion of yours is like uh, helping young players come through the systems and stuff like that. Like what, what, is, what, what is it that like makes you, um, that got you into that kind of stuff that you really wanted to help young people? Uh, it just probably started as a young age, you know, when I, when I was a youngster, no one really helped me, you know, we was on the streets like all probably footballers my age and when I went into Leeds United, you know, you, you went in there as a young boy and, uh, you know, you had, I remember Keith Mincher, coach, I just loved the way he, he, he did things and, and I said to myself, you always find your niche in football, you know, you always find your niche, it can be first teams, I've, I've worked with first teams, reserve teams and youth teams and, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it because I'm a bit of a kid. It keeps me young. I'm a bit of a kid myself, <laughs> you know, to tell you the truth. Uh, I just, you know what I enjoy more than I enjoy putting a smile on, on the students' faces because they might be having a bad day. They might be having a bad day at school at home. And it's just a place for them to come and enjoy the football and learning them, learning them something different and new, new ideas, new knowledge. And, you know, when they go back out the gates, you know, with a smile on the face, then that, that's what it's all about for me. But enjoying the football and all, and, and, and learning about it, learning that they can, especially in India now, you can go to the next levels. Yeah, like I mean, that's uh, I know they say football is becoming a lot bigger in India. Like, like how, mm. how 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 do they need to get to that next level? Because I mean, they've got they've got the population, obviously, right? So <clears throat> yeah, they've got a population. They're, they're building infrastructures. You know, you've got some fantastic owners coming in and spending the money, and the, the you know the owners are not making money out of it; they're spending money. You know, I think at the top end, uh, the ISL and the I League, we need more games. The top players need more games. You can't play for six months and then sit around for four to five months. It doesn't help. It doesn't help the cause. It doesn't help the, the national team. More games, uh, better games. And then again, coming down underneath that, you know, uh, you know, you're 16 to 18. We are building uh, leagues, but, you know, they're far from between. They're like tournaments more than, you know, a league format. You go into an academy in England, America, you know, in Europe, and every, every child is playing week in and week out. So the training relates to the game on the Saturday. So the, the children, the students, the players, they're still learning. Uh, over there, we don't get that. It's more or less tournaments, you know, a two-week tournament, a three-week tournament, then it stops. So we've got to get a little bit more continuity, right? Right. Uh, across the board with it really and that's it and you know you know there's 1.5 billion people these these players out there some, we have got some good young players now at the ISL clubs like Carola Blasters ATK you know uh, Mumbai we've got some some fantastic uh, BFC uh, we've got some fantastic youngsters coming through and they're doing it the, the, the right way the youngsters so it's up to the clubs then to have a long term vision uh, and the owners have long-term vision for them. Them uh, younger projects coming through. It can't be just a quick fix. Will we see? Will we see uh, Indian players start to play abroad a lot more now, or do you think that it's a very insular kind of country with they'll I think it, it, Yeah, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. You know, it's 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 a difficult one. You know, uh, I'd I'd love to see a lot more uh, Indian players. You know, taking a chance and going maybe to uh, the Asians. Or first, and then going to into Europe, getting a taste of living away from home, getting a taste of something different, a different culture, and that. 
It is hard. I've done it. I've travelled all over the world. Uh, I think we, it's easy to adapt uh, for the Europeans. But, you know, I think it'd be beautiful if we could get players over there and, you know, start playing in the, in the real top leagues. It's going to be a hard act to follow with the, the top leagues over there, the top players. Because don't forget, again, the playing, the playing week in and week out, these uh, players, they're getting the best of everything. You know, you, you go to a team like uh, Manchester United Academy, a Man City Academy, Manchester City's Academy, three hundred million pounds. You know, how do you compete? How do you compete with that? And they're still spending hundreds and hundreds of millions on players. You know, so they're not just getting the players ready for for, for them, their own academies. They're getting them ready to play football at all different levels and give them a chance uh, of being a professional footballer. They don't have to come. Every player doesn't have to play Manchester City's first team or Manchester United's Liverpool, but they can go and play in other Premiership sides. They can go and play in Championship sides, and they still can earn some good money out of it. You know, so I think that's the philosophy over there. Over there, we have to we have to look maybe at the way they've done it in Australia, in America, the uh, MLS in Australia, and just take note of that because we have got some we've got some good young kids coming up. Yeah, so so was uh, was coaching always a thing that you you wanted to get into when you were like when you were playing? Did you know that was something that was going to be the next level for you? No, not really. No, it was uh, you know I took every day as it come. Really, you know I enjoyed playing football, and then I got thrown in the deep end. I was in America, and a friend said to mine, "It was it was a uh, technical director of a, a youth club." He said, "Listen, you know we did we did coaching, you know when I was at the clubs in in England, you know Everton especially." You know, you go in and help the, the, the youth team coaches or the, uh, the U10 coaches or whatever, just to be there as a, as a presence, just to give the, the players a little bit more, the youngsters a little bit more motivation, self-esteem. But uh, I got thrown in with a group of girls, 12-year-old girls, and I'm like, well, what, am I, what do I do here? <laughs> Amazing. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like, all right, then this is new. So, and, and you know what, you just grow with it. You just learn. You learn about emotions. You learn about you learn. Obviously, boys have egos. Girls have emotions. You learn about all that, uh, and it was fantastic. And it was a it was a great learning curve for me, you know, uh, to be with uh, a group of girls then and bringing them on for a couple of years. And then I went uh, with top elite girls. And when I was in America, obviously, then I, it just really started from there. Really, and then I started college teams, and then U uh, eighteen youth teams. And it just started from there, really. And I just started to say to myself, look, just learn as much as you can. You're not going to be, you know, I'm not saying you're going to be a Pep Guardiola or an Alex Ferguson, but, you know, we all have different moments and different trends and different philosophies. But for me, it's about having fun, enjoyment, trying to get the best out of your students and letting them enjoy it. And, and, and you know, give them ownership, challenge them all the time. Give them ownership, challenge them. I don't think we... We, we tend to do that much in our homes. We don't challenge our uh, children in our homes. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't ask for feedback of them, you know. So stuff like that for me has been fantastic. And also watching other coaches from all over the world. I watch any type of football. It doesn't bother me because you can always learn. So that, that seems to be a thing there where you said, like, you know, having fun seems to be like a philosophy of yours. It's obviously a bit of a different philosophy from when you were growing up because, like, football was probably a lot more serious. Uh, how important is that for kids to like have fun when they're they're playing the game? Well, well, listen, you know, when you're having fun, you you know, you know, 
climbing up the walls and doing cartwheels all, all over the place. You're having fun with the ball. You know, you're learning. You're learning to have self-esteem and motivation. How does a coach motivate him? How does a coach give him self-esteem? What type of feedback does he want off him? You know, and he's got to challenge him and all. And I think that's where they have the fun. And then putting training sessions where they can have that little bit of fun and all and that little bit of relaxation. You know, when we was growing up, it was all hard. It was, it was even in the schools, it was hard. It was tough. It was, we went to a club. Keith Mitchell was great when we went to uh, Leeds United. And Pete Gumby, uh, the youth team manager and the reserve team manager. You know, that, that was their philosophy and all. So I probably picked a lot up from them. But as you go up the ranks, it gets a little bit tougher because you're expected then, you've learned at the bottom, you're expected to be a player. Even at an age of 16, 17, 18, if you're playing in the first team, there's no hiding place. Uh, so for me, I think society's changed in a lot of the academies, especially in England. Societies have changed with. with We've you know, we've invited new uh, protocols, new depths, you know, right along the child protection, right along everything, how you treat the students in the academies. Some people say it's too softly, softly. But for me, it's up to that student then uh, to be able to want to learn and, and be the best he can. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great way of looking at it. Like, I mean, like I, I think as well, we all have to take a little bit of uh, personal responsibility, right? So, um... Sure, do. So uh, you're you're a bit of a, a pundit as well on TV over there. Um, so did you challenge your inner Roy Keane when you're doing this kind of stuff? Or how'd you go about that? Oh, <laughs> there's only one Roy Keane. There's only one Roy Keane. So no, Roy, Roy Keane's brilliant. No, I'm just, if you can see at the back there, is it there? If you see, I've just got my light in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just, get, I'm just getting set up there uh, for tonight. I'm doing Champions League tonight. Nice. sports in India. That's been great. I've been doing that now for the past, oh, six and a half, coming on seven years. I fully enjoy it. I've done a, a couple of World Cups, uh, European Championships, and we have, a, we have a show on a Monday. Obviously, with the virus now, we, you know, travelling is restricted. Uh, and we have a, a kick-off show on a Monday, which is like the old half-an-hour show of, you know, feedback from the, the games or sports from around the world, what's been happening. Nice. So, do you do your own makeup now as well? Is that is, is that? <laughs> well, you trying to you trying to say I need makeup now? <laughs> Not at all, man. Your complexion uh, is perfect. I'm a, thank you very much. No, uh, no, I think, no you, you know, you you try and scrub up the best you can, you know, because don't forget you're on national TV and you, you know, you're promoting the sport and you know you you get to meet a lot of different people. Obviously, we we do get a couple of lads over from England, like David James, Ashley Westwood. Uh, we've got Mark Seagraves, ex-Liverpool, ex-Man City. He's over in, uh, he's, up, he's up in Goa. He lives there. Obviously, Ashley Westwood, ex-Sheffield Wednesday, uh, started up at Man United. He's down in Australia. And obviously, you know David James. He was over at the Carol of Blasters on a couple of the stints. And he's back in England. Uh, he, he flits in between England and other parts of Asia. So, we have a good group of lads who do come on and it's quite enjoyable. Obviously, now with the virus, we can't travel up to Mumbai. So, like I said, we're doing it from home. So, I'm going to set all my stuff up for tonight and find the right lighting where I need to be uh, for later on. So, I'll have to get your uh, predictions for later on. Uh, well, listen, Manchester City are in, in... Well, what would I say for Manchester City? The 2-1 up in the, in the tie. You know, they've got this game to come now. It's going to be an hard game. Obviously, we've... Uh, Real Madrid losing Ramos it could add in City's favour they are at home Manchester City I would expect Man Manchester City to go on and win this game 
there's no pressure on them. The pressure's on Real Madrid to really do come out and uh, uh, show the stuff. So that, that's where Manchester City can really then uh, capitalise on maybe some mistakes and spaces and uh, score a couple more goals. But it's all to do for Real Madrid, isn't it? I do, I do hope Manchester City do go through to the next round. Juve 1-1 with Leon. Leon hasn't been playing great in their domestic uh, leagues. They're about seventh. Juve have just won theirs, but they've had a, a little bit of a rocky time. Yet they won it. They haven't been playing great football. So uh, you would expect uh, Juventus to go on and win that game and all. Yeah, it'd be, be kind of nice for uh, for Man City to win. I think Pep kind of needs that uh, that Champions League win to kind of crown what he's doing at Man City, I guess, right? <clears throat> Well, sure, he sure does. And I think, you know, was he brought in for that? He was just brought in to win trophies. Uh, this is the holy grail, isn't it? This is the trophy of all trophies, uh, European football. This is what everybody wants. I think Manchester City have learnt, probably learned from mistakes of previous uh, years. Uh, they've still got a lot of, of work to do. You know, you look at what Liverpool did, back to back finals, lost one and won one, and then ran away with the EPL, which was absolutely fantastic, you know. Uh, so, so for me, Manchester City have to win this trophy. If it's not this year, it's got to be sometime next year or the year after. Maybe the, you know, he's got to win it within the next couple of years anyway. Well, they're already like putting their their hand in their pocket, and the season's just over, right? I mean, like they spent forty million on Nathan Ake, and then they brought in Torres mm-hmm. from Valencia. So yeah. Yeah, they're not yeah. shy about spending a few quid. <laughs> well, no, they're, they're, not, they're not shy about spending a few quid, and it takes obviously players to adapt and their families to adapt into different societies, different cultures, uh, and a different pattern of play <clears throat> and a different philosophy. So hopefully they can settle in. Obviously, we know about Nathan Aki, uh, Chelsea uh, products, and then obviously uh, going on to Bournemouth. Uh, so hopefully they can settle in, and Pep can get the best out of these players because he does need. He does need players. He does need cover. You know, you need a big squad nowadays, especially now you need a big squad. So, for me, he still needs a top world-class centre-back. He's never replaced company. He still needs a top world-class centre-back. If, if, you know, City want to really, really challenge the big boys for this trophy. Yeah, that's that, that, it just seems to be uh, always been a bit of a, a problem for them. Like, I mean, Laporte is a really good player, um, but it's always that kind of player beside him that just seems to be a little bit dodgy. <laughs> yeah, don't forget they've had injuries and also that doesn't help. When you have injuries, it, it doesn't help you too much to tell you the truth. You know, you've, you've really got to look at it because, you know, injuries play a big part of, of football and you, you have to be able to adapt when your best players get injured. You know, uh, and I don't think Manchester City at the back have adapted too well. You know, you know with losing nine games in the EPL, it, it's not great. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna be champions losing nine games. I think they've won seven out of the last ten games. Uh, where Real Madrid, they've won the last ten out of ten and went on to win the uh, uh, La Liga title. So it just tells you what great form they're in at this present time. Yeah. Um, so I'm just gonna just uh, change tack a little bit and just uh, talk about a little bit about your career. I guess um, if that's okay with yeah. you. So as you mentioned there, you started off in Leeds and you were at Swansea and then you went to Wimbledon. So obviously Wimbledon had a bit of a, a an unorthodox uh, <laughs> approach to the game. When you, when you signed for them, um, did anything happen on your first day? Like, did they slash your tyres? Or 
no, you know what? I was I was quite all right. They never they never <laughs> bother me. You look like a hard dog. That's probably why. Maybe a smelt maybe a smelt too much on the But I think I think I think I got a little bit of instant respect because I played at Leeds United, a big club. You know, I I played there as a young boy and then I got into the first team. You know, I was on the verge of playing for the national side and all. Uh, I was in the B teams and the U23s. So that was that was great. So I had a little bit of a track record. And then I played 44 games, 45, 46 games for Swansea. So I had a bit of a track record. So I think there was... And I remember speaking to Vinnie Jones and he, and he said, oh, what, what do we... You know, do you have a nickname? I said, yeah, just call me Philo. You know, Terry Phelan, Philo. He went... Yeah, where have you played? I went, well, I was at Leeds United, went all the way. He said, playing the first team? I said, yeah. He went, brilliant, well done. He said, I'm Swansea. He went, fantastic. And I think, I think, I think he must have said to the lads, listen, leave this, listen, leave this back, this lad alone. <laughs> leave, leave him alone, you know, he, he's, uh, he's done a little bit, so leave, leave him alone. But no, nothing, nothing really never happened to me, uh, to tell you the truth. I think wow. I think it was just in, instant respect, you know. I seen a few things happen to a lot of other players, and it, <laughs> some, of it, some of it wasn't nice. We will not say on air. But, but, what, a, but what, a, what a great bunch of lads, you know. Uh, Dennis Wise, Billy Jones, John Fastenew, Laurie Sanchez, Big Brian Gale, Alan Cork, Dave Bassett. You know, you can, Eric Young. You can Teddy, little Terry Gibson who played for Manchester United and Coventry. You can you can you can go on and on and on. Count forever. We had a family. We had a, a family unit, and it was absolutely brilliant. It took me six months to really settle in because obviously, when you see somebody's clothes getting burned in the dressing room, or <laughs> uh, shoes getting brand new brogue Churchill shoes getting nailed to the bench, or some somebody finding something what they shouldn't find in a soap bag, <laughs> it was a bit like it was a bit. Oh, all right then. I have to be very careful here. You know, if you wore if you wore some decent Armani or Gucci or you know gearing, that got that got that got torn up, that got shredded, and that was it. So it. you know, I think it, I think it kept you grounded more than anything. You know, you're part of the family, and it kept you grounded. So like I know I had the uh, the moniker of the crazy gang and all that kind of stuff, but like you just listed off the players there, like that's. There were some like really top class players. Like I mean, like you finished seventh in your first season when you were there. Like, how good was the team itself? Like, like obviously you were on the inside, right? So, like I mean, like how good was the team? It, listen, it was it was. You know what we had? We had resilience. We had power, resilience, and people said we couldn't play. Well, I'd played at Leeds United. I played under Terry Orif at Swansea, so I could play football. I'd come through a fantastic club, so we could play. And, and you know, Dennis Wise come from, on a, I think, a free transfer from Southampton. John Fashnew ended up coming from Millwall. Vinnie Jones was a labourer on the building sites and playing for Willstone. And, and, and he, he ended up doing well. Look at Vinnie now, you know, uh, Hollywood actor. Laurie Sanchez had done his bit at Reading and that. Alan Cork uh, had been at uh, Wimbledon most of his life, or all of his life, uh, Corky. So it was more or less, you know, a, a family unit. And, you know, when we went on the field, we'd, we'd, we'd done our stuff in the tunnel. You know, we'd done the war cries and all that in the tunnel. And every time we went on the field, it was a battle. We seen it as a battle, you know. We, yeah, we got beat. That was, that was you, you're going to get beat. But most of the games we won uh, with heart, guts, determination, resilience, never giving up. And, you know, people say we didn't play pretty football, but it's not how you win the game. It's about winning the game. 
that's it. And if you get three points on a Saturday and that manager still got his job, then that's what we want. And that's what we always wanted there at Wimbledon. We wanted the three points. And now we have, no matter how we was going to get it, we was going to get three points. And if that means getting the ball from back to front early, getting players around the ball, getting the ball in the box early, unsettling centre-backs and full-backs and goalkeepers and knocking a few people about, that's what we was going to do. And we surely did that. We did it in the dressing room and we did it out on the field and all. So, like, obviously, uh, you won the FA Cup that season and, and um, mm. talk about guts and resilience and stuff like that. But, like, you were, I think you were, like, 20 when that happened, 21, maybe? Um, yeah, it's my first season, yes. I was, uh, I, was, I was a young pup, 21. I'm only 18 now, mine, so I don't, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what's going on. Benjamin Button, right? <laughs> I was just going to say that. Just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> so, like, like you're 20, 21, uh, like... And you pull up to uh, Wembley and you see the famous Twin Towers and all that kind of stuff. How, how do you focus? Like, how do you, like, because like, obviously there's just a noise and the bustle and there's like 80,000, 90,000 people about to, to turn up and watch you. Like, how, how do you keep your, your focus to all that? Well, listen, when, listen, we were going to turn up in a minibus. How about that? Because we used to travel around. We used to travel around London in a minibus. You know, it's like the anthill mob. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with, with, uh, <laughs> Oh, Joe used to drive his big. Joe used to drive his big Range Rover behind, and then we'd all be stuck in this uh, this uh, van, you know, a, a van with with you know uh, two boards either side, and you'd be sat there like you'd have all a kit, and you jump out at I don't know, maybe it was Arsenal or uh, Tottenham. You jump out, you jump out of this, <laughs> and there'd be players, <laughs> there'd be oh players God. and players and players coming out of this van. <laughs> We had we had a side door, so we'd come out and a few of them would go around the side door and still keep coming out. <laughs> but no, it was it, it's hilarious. it was hilarious. I mean and that just built character. It built character, but you know, we got offered a lot of money to go to Wembley in, in the uh, in the van. And uh, Sam and Man and uh, the chairman Stanley Reed says, No, we can't do that. It's a special occasion. Let's go in style. Let's have a bit of banter, and, and that's what we did. And we had no fear. The night before, we all went for a beer, a glass of wine, a couple of Guinnesses just to uh, settle our nerves. You know, Bobby Gould and uh, Don Al said, look, lads, don't be sat in. It's just no good for you to just sat in the rooms. Go out, have a walk, a couple of beers, be back for 12 o'clock. And that's what we did. We went out at a couple of beers, got, got back for 12 o'clock. In wow. bed and... Can, can you imagine, like... on the pitch. Can you imagine that happening well, now? Like, like, you know, like well, Pep's telling the lads to go for a few Guinnesses the week before. Listen, <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I'm sure some lads have a glass of wine, a, a glass of wine with the dinner or with the pasta. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. And it was, you know, <clears throat> uh, a, a couple of Guinnesses. It might have been half a Guinnesses or, you know, just something like that, just to calm the nerves more than that. And it, I think it was more or less team building because everybody went together. You know, played darts, played a game of pool. It was more or less easing the nerves. I mean, we didn't go out and get absolutely uh, plastered or anything like that. So I don't want to. I don't want to project that uh, yeah. to anybody. You know, we went out and we, we was careful. We was on a curfew when we went out. We had to be back at a certain time. So, and then we got to Wembley. And we thought, right, lads, we've arrived. We we've arrived, and we have to go out and do the business. And we were playing against a formidable Liverpool time, team at that time. Uh, yes, they'd won the, obviously won the old first division, you know, and uh, we come up against some wonderful players, John Barnes, Ray Alton, you know, Brucey Grobler, Alan Anson, John Aldridge, Steve McMahon, Peter Beardsley, uh, Steve Nicholl, 
you know, you, you, you can, you can, Jan Mulvey, Craig Johnson, and we said, listen, if we're going to win this, we've got to be super, super, super focused. And that's what we was, well, that's what we was. We, we, we started off brightly. We started off with focus, determination. We stopped them from playing. And I started off, I think it was me who started off with the, with the ball running down the wing, got a little free kick, Dennis Wise whipped it in. Laurie Sanchez put it in the back of the net and we never looked back from there on. But, you know, Dave Besson saved, saved a penalty, you know, which was never a penalty. So we deserved it. We deserved to, we deserved to win the, the cup that day. I know we didn't play pretty football, but uh, we deserved to win the cup and we actually did. No, that's the thing for me. Like, I mean, like everybody said it was a huge upset, which, <clears> like, it was an upset. But, I mean, like, you guys were still a fourth, fourth division team. You'd finished seventh. Like, I, I just yeah. felt like, it, was, it was crazy, like, how much people were painting you as these underdogs. Like, you guys could play football. You know what I mean? It's, it's well, but, yeah, nobody liked us and we didn't care. That's, that, that's our philosophy. Nobody liked us. We didn't care. They all think we're rubbish. They all think we're rubbish players. They all think we can't play uh, football. But, you know, we, we finished seventh you know, in the uh, old first division. Uh, we went to Wembley. We beat some big clubs on the way to Wembley. We up to Newcastle, beat them. We beat Luton and all who, who's in the, in the league them, them days. And uh, we went on to win it. And it was a fantastic day. Uh, it, you know, it's cemented there in history now, isn't it? So what was the, what was the game plan? Like, like the dressing room beforehand? Like what, what did the manager say? <clears throat> well, we, we had the music. We had the music pumping. We used to bring music in. We had the music pumping, you know. And the music started at Wimbledon. We had the music pumping and we nice and relaxed, you know. We was geeing each other up, you know. All players are different. Some are quiet. I was quite a quiet character, like, you know, until I got on the field. Uh, Vinnie Jones would, you know, get everybody going. John Fastenew would get everybody going. And, and then once we got into the tunnel, uh, we started our antics, didn't we? we? You know, we started the antics and the, uh, the, the words of, you know, a fire and the, you know, the adrenaline was going, the, the motivation was going, the, the growling was going. It was like lions ready to be let out of the cage and going into the fortress. We were like gladiators. That's what it was like. It was like gladiators going and playing in front of uh, 100,000 people and obviously I'm 21 years of age I'd never seen a crowd that big in my life only from TV and actually going out there was just amazing you, you, it, the feeling and I've played in World Cups and all but the feeling that day was just just I, I couldn't describe how it was for a young boy to go out there I, I, I wish that they had like tunnel cam back then just to see Vinnie Jones growling <laughs> at the Liverpool players oh, oh you oh it, <laughs> You, 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 I mean, I, I don't know, but uh, people say we won the, the we won the game in the tunnel. But don't forget, we was playing against world class international players, and we respected them. You know, you know, you when you sat in your your armchair and you're watching Alan Anderson win trophies with Liverpool, and you know, <clears throat> people like uh, John Barnes flying up and down the wing. You know, you, you you've got to give them respect, and we 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 give them respect, but we didn't give them too much respect. You know, we, we, we had to give them a little bit of respect because of the nature of the players, but we didn't give them too much respect. You know, we had to be really, really on, our, on the balls of our feet in this game. And tactically, we got it right. We nullified them in wide areas. We nullified the midfield. Uh, and we worked really hard. And we played a simple 4-4-2. Everybody knew the jobs, roles and responsibilities and uh, knew the jobs. And, and it just ticked, clicked together. It ticked and it clicked together. And then... 
bang, off we go. We scored a goal and we were walking up the steps to right. collect the uh, FA Cup off Prince's Day. You can't get no better than that. That's crazy. So, uh, what was the what was the the party like, the party like afterwards? I say was it probably like the party of your life? Was it? You mean you mean you mean parties? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, listen. You know, it's uh, you're gonna enjoy you gotta enjoy these moments because they might never come round again. And you gotta enjoy them. And you gotta enjoy yourself. You gotta enjoy it with your family, your friends, uh, with everybody who's there. And you know, I think we drunk Wimbledon dry for the. the <laughs> the next two or three days to tell you the truth but it was Amazing. great you know then we had a t- I think I, I I mean we had a test I think it was uh, Alan Cork's testimonial on a Wednesday or something like that and that's when we you know the game was on the FA Cup obviously on the Saturday I didn't see anybody till that game in, in the dressing room on the Wednesday so it just shows you uh, that it, it was it was great it was it was a lovely it was lovely for Wimbledon it was a lovely for a little club like that and the owners and uh, the managers, you know, it was, it was a fantastic and it was, uh, it'll always be there, won't it? It'll always be there, that cup final will always be there. You know, we stopped Liverpool from doing the double. We wasn't in Europe, we would have played in Europe and all. And that was a, that was a great shame. That, that was actually one of my, that was, that was my next question, actually. How, how do you think Wimbledon would have done in Europe? It just would have been crazy well, to see, right? Well, <laughs> well, well, could you imagine, I don't know, maybe Sam Doria or uh, I don't know, uh, coming down to Plough Lane on a wet, <laughs> wet Tuesday night. Oh, I don't man. think they would have. I don't. I don't think they would have enjoyed it too much. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, uh, we just enjoyed playing. We just, you know, what we, I, you know, I wanted to be a football player when I grew up, and you know, we watched the FA Cup when we were young boys out in the streets of Salford, knocking a ball about from morning till night, and you had your dreams of playing in a cup final. That was my dream to play in a cup final, and it happened, and. You know, I cherish it every moment. You know, sometimes I still pinch myself. Did it really happen? It's crazy. Because, like, when I, when I was growing up, like, the, the FA Cup, it's, it's a little bit different now, but that was the pinnacle. Like, like the F Cup final Saturday was, like, you know, the coverage would start at, like, nine in the morning and it go right through the whole day. So, it was, like, it was a yeah. big, yeah. it was a big, big thing. And, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's amazing that you got to live that dream. <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah. So, so next then you got to, you, you played like what, 160 games for Wimbledon and then you got a uh, move to, to Man City. I heard you on another podcast there mention that like a bunch of clubs had come in for you at the time, uh, including Barcelona. So, yeah. so how, did, how did you not end up at Barcelona? <laughs> well, there was, a, there was a host of clubs, Manchester United, Barcelona, Everton, uh, Tottenham, Ajax, Rangers, Celtic. A lot, of, a lot of clubs did, did was knocking on the door, and obviously it was all about the fee, wasn't it? It was two and a half million, or I don't go anywhere, uh, and they all offered a million and a half, uh, which was which was a lot of money back in them days. And I would have loved to have gone to Barcelona, uh, you know, who wouldn't have, you know, have loved to have gone to Barcelona? I was an international football player, I was doing very well, uh, but it didn't happen. The price just wasn't wasn't right, and at the last minute, Peter Reid. Peter Reid coming for me, and I was happy to go to Manchester City. Uh, my first jersey as a young boy was a Manchester City sky blue jersey. Man. Uh, running around the streets of Salford with a lot of Manchester United uh, fans <laughs> there. That's, that's, that's probably why I was like lightning, always running around, escaping <laughs> from them. But no, and I enjoyed it. And, and, and I, I, grew, I, I grew a love for Manchester City and Liverpool. You know, I, I grew a great love for Manchester City, for Liverpool. Obviously, Manchester City, because it was a little bit different. I wasn't following uh, the bandwagon of Manchester United, 
uh, and I, I just I just fell in love with the, the the jersey. I mean, if you look at if you look at this, I've got a table here. It's sky blue. I bought it because it's sky blue, and that's and that's why I bought the, the table. Uh, so yeah, it was it was it was it was great. And obviously, I could have went to Manchester United, but the money wasn't there. I had meetings with Manchester United, uh, and it, it wasn't budging. It was it was you know Wimbledon's two and a half million or, or, or nothing. So end up going to Manchester City. And Peter Reid, his philosophy was, we're going to get better players in, we're going to get good players in, we've got a great crowd behind us, and we, we want to deliver trophies. And, and that's why I went, to tell the truth. Oh, I'm, I'm plus because they was paying two and a half million and all. I didn't have to go, I could have waited another season, but I'd done my time five years at Wimbledon, and it was, you know, it was time to now uh, test myself and challenge myself you know, at one of the bigger clubs. So, obviously, at that time was when United were starting to come back into being the the big the big boy back in the Premier League and stuff like that. So, what was that feeling like in the city? Like, was there was that like a lot of pressure on you guys then as well, like at Man City to try and keep up with them? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's why they brought Peter Reid in to try and uh, emulate what Manchester United was doing. That, that it was a hard. It was always going to be a tough one, to tell you the truth. I mean, there's not a lot of clubs in the world that can do what Manchester United done when Alex Ferguson was there, you know, to tell you, to tell you that. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to have a bit more pride in Manchester, the Blue Art, and give the, the fans something to shout about and sing about. And the first year was amazing at Manchester City. It was really amazing. And then Peter Reid, uh, you know, for some unknown reason, the club uh, wanted him to depart. And, you know, I'm sat there and I'm thinking, the reason I've come here, yeah, I know they paid the money, but it was because what he sold me and what his philosophy was and what players he was going to brought in. I could have waited it out and maybe waited till uh, the end of that that season and probably gone for lesser money because probably Wimbledon would have, have won it because I wouldn't have signed a new contract maybe. But, you know, he sold me a, uh, a blueprint. He, his philosophy was great. And we actually got Keith Curl. Two and a half million, you know, he had Nal Quinn there, David Wett there, he, he brought Steve McMahon in there. So we had a tidy little team. It just needed a few more players, a few more experienced players. He had Gary Flickcroft coming through, uh, Fitzroy Simpson was there, uh, Mike Sheridan was there. So he had, he had some fantastic young boys coming through and all. Uh, but I think once he left, the club just went uh, downhill a little bit, to tell you the truth. You know, once he left, you know, we had numerous managers in. It didn't work out. And then they find themselves in, the, in, in the, the championship, then the first division. And it, it, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Obviously, I'd left before that, but it, it wasn't good. You know, maybe they should have kept Peter Reed. So, so do you think that's where they struggled because they got rid of... Because, I mean, you, you went from, I, well, I think it was like, you took finished in the top half of the table your first season, and then it was like 16th, 17th. Like, it was like a huge drop-off. Was that because they got rid of Peter Reid, you think? or? Well, well, I think it was a, a, a lot of different different uh, aspects. You know, boardrooms, you know, different coaches coming in, different managers coming in, different philosophies coming in. Players was unsettled. Yeah, we still went out and played, but... You get unsettled when you keep seeing a manager and a manager after six months or another year. It becomes monotonous. And then you think to yourself, is it ever going to change? And then you see him going on free fall. And, you know, I think people upstairs uh, should have done the due diligence a little bit more and, and, and really looked at the club. And 
it wasn't it wasn't good for it wasn't good for the city fans, you know. And you look at Manchester City at this present time, you know, they've brought money into it, they've built a massive big academy, and and, and people are still criticising them that they've got it's oil money and it's this money and it's that money. But you know, you need money to survive this day and age. Clubs need money to survive them. You know, they've gone on, they've spent the money wisely, and they and they've won the trophies. Yeah, I mean, like what you're saying there about the, the, the managers changing. Can you imagine what it was like for the Watford players for like the, the season? Well, there you go. I mean, it, 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 there's no continuity there. I, I, I said it, I said it uh, a couple of days ago. We were talking about Carola Blasters uh, in Carola. Now, you know, talk about long-term uh, strategies and long-term plans. And, you know, and, you know, when you have managers coming in year in, year out, year in, year out, and especially after three, four months when the season's finished and six months, it's not good in a new place. You, have to, you, need, you need time to build a legacy. You need time to build a club, you know. Uh, and this is what I try to say. And hopefully now it, it, that happens now because they have got a quality manager in. They've got a technical director in, a sporting director. So that's what you want to see. You, you, you don't want to see manager after manager after manager after manager. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't help the fans and it doesn't help the players. So uh, your, your next move from Man City then was uh, to Chelsea, I think. Uh, and you were, yeah. kind of, you were at the, the kind of cusp of Chelsea becoming the super club they were today because they started to bring in some top talents from Europe and stuff like that. Uh, what, was it, what was it like, like looking over and seeing like Rude Hullet in the same dressing room as you and stuff like that? Was it surreal? Well, don't forget when you played, when, 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 we, when Rude was playing for the great AC Milan side, you looked over and you see him just sat there. I mean, he's come to the end of his career then. You know, he'd had a lot of injuries. And then you've got Jan Franco Zola sat over there. You've got uh, Frank LaBeouf sat over there. Don't forget, you've got Dennis Wise. You've got myself. You've got Mark Hughes sat over there. You know, ex-Manchester United, Barcelona. Uh, Roberto Di Matteo sat there and all. And <laughs> you think Dan Petrescu sat there. Uh, Viali sat there. You're thinking... Is this a dream? I'm, 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 you know, I used to watch these on. I used to watch Saturday, and I used to watch these on a, on a Sunday, and they're actually in the dressing. It was absolutely fantastic, you know. And that was that was the real start of the Forum Brigade coming in. That was the real start. That's what Chelsea wanted to build, and Chelsea's a massive club, and it shows you that. So, you know, to be part of that team, you know, I had a few injuries to be part of that team. I was travelling up and down from Manchester. That wasn't ideal, and. Uh, I decided at the end that it was best for me to go back up north uh, and, and join uh, Everton. Maybe I should have stayed at Chelsea because they did have some fantastic, uh, some fantastic years. But again, managers come and go. Your face might not have fitted. So I opted to go up the road and, and, and back up north. How come you never uh, moved down to London? How come you, like, it was a family thing? Was I wasn't, was no, no, I was in London. I, I, I was in London, but, you know, travelling up and down, you know, the uh, children in school and things like that, then you're travelling up and down. It was, it was, it, it becomes kind of bad. I used to travel up and down with Mark Hughes. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it becomes kind of, you know, that's how you do carry your injuries. Uh, but no, no excuses made. Uh, we had a lovely place in, in London. Uh, but don't, we'd gone up, to uh, Manchester from from Wimbledon. We've been in uh, London for five years. It was a change, and then to go back again, it was it was a big upheaval to tell you the truth. Uh, but you know, I had no hesitations in joining them when they come in because I seen what they was building. 
So um, you, you then went on to like uh, uh, Everton, um, Palace. I think you had a bit of a spell, and then Fulham. Mm-hmm. So you're part of that project as well, like where they were like had got some money and they brought in uh, uh, Tegan and stuff like that. What, what was he like as a coach? It was brilliant. He didn't say much. He used to come in with a, a toothpick in his side of his mouth, <laughs> shirt around. He used to join in training. And when he joined in training, he was absolutely brilliant. I, I, honestly, it was it was absolutely brilliant. But he kept things nice. He kept things nice and easy, uh, nice and calm. He didn't say a lot in the change rooms. He gave the ownership to the players and the captain in the change rooms to sort out. We had a lot of internationals in there. You know, Chris Coleman. Uh, John Collins, Lee right? Clark was there. John Collins was there. <laughs> Uh, myself, Andrew Melville was there. Uh, Steve Finnan was there. Barry Ells, Barry Ells was there. Uh, so they had, we had a, we had a, a few internationals in that team uh, who, who could really play. And don't forget, they'd already done the business in the in the Premiership uh, years gone by. So you find yourselves in the Championship, and we're like big projects here. We need to get into the Premiership, and I think what what really changed it and what improved it was our fitness side of things. Because the strength and conditioning he brought in, I learned more off him than I'd ever learned off anybody uh, on the fitness side. And I'm, I'm a bit of a fitness freak myself anyway. I like to keep myself nice and fit. And I learned so much of him, just the way he adapted his training sessions, the way he brought things up. Heart rate monitors was on, your timing, you went swimming, you did gym work, you did everything. It wasn't just about a ball. You did everything. Uh, and, and don't forget your athletes. And... You know, you have to be strong and physically strong and mentally strong. And that's what that's what he did. And don't forget, we, we went out and bought Louis, Louis Sahar, banged some goals in for us, and we ended up going into the uh, the premiership. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible project. Like, uh, like I mean, as I said, like a kind of smaller club like that, trying to get them up into the, the Premier League. But I guess you didn't leave Fulham on the best of terms. Uh, it was a little bit acrimonious, I guess, when you left. Um, well, I, 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 don't, I don't think it was acrimonious. It was just that I wanted to play football. Uh, I'd, had a, you know, I'd had a couple of injuries in the summer. And I just wanted, I just wanted to play football. You know, you're 33, 34 now when you, you want to get on. Uh, so I decided maybe my next journey is travelling abroad. And that's where it really started from there, uh, travelling abroad. I had the chance to go to Crystal Palace and sign a two-year contract as a player and a coach. And that didn't materialise. Uh, Fulham pulled the, the plug on that and that was a real downer for me to tell the truth. So I decided then, you know, I don't want to be a bit part player. I don't want to be bouncing from club to club. Uh, you know, I went to Sheffield United on loan for three months, keep myself fit, and I ended up going on over to America. And you know, the rest is history. So how did uh, how did that move come about, like the the Charleston? Well, I, I got invited over to Dallas. I got invited over. I went over to uh, Dallas. They was playing in the MLS. I went there, uh, <clears throat> and you know, I enjoyed it. I, I went. I just went for the kick about. You know, I wouldn't say it was real trials, just to go in to see the club was, and. Charleston Battery Year was over and they was, built, they was building, you know, a, a project. You know, I always seem to go to these new projects. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> you know, so anyway, a, a coach called Chris Ramsey uh, said, listen, you know, before you sign, come and see what we're doing in Charleston. Yeah, that was a league below. So I went, all right then. So I flew over to Charleston. It was, it was absolutely wonderful. The place was beautiful. The beaches was beautiful. Uh, you know, the... the you know, the football ground was fantastic, what the owner had built. And you're thinking to yourself, 
I'd love to be part of this for a couple of years and then, and then see where it takes me. And I was, and we, we did well. We won a championship there. So, you know, that's why you go. You, you want to go and win medals. And it was, it was, it was, and we had international players there. We had international players, you know, playing at that club and all. World-class players who played for Jamaica in World Cups, played for the USA in World Cups, wow. you know, played, played for Canada. You know, we had top international players and it was great. It was, it was a fantastic couple of years. I really enjoyed it there. So you kind of caught the you know, the travel book then, I guess. Like, so what is it about traveling mm. that? Because you went to New Zealand next, and then obviously you went to India and mm. stuff like that. What is it? What is yeah. it about traveling that you love so much? I just enjoyed it from playing. Obviously, we used to travel around with Ireland and all. I, I just enjoy. I just enjoyed traveling. I used to enjoy it. And I said to myself, "Listen, you know, I'm still young. Let's go and travel. Let's go and see the world. Let's go and uh, taste different cultures. Let's go and have fun." And and that's what it's been about. Again, it's about having fun and testing yourself and challenging yourself. And I think I've done that. And it's, it's been fantastic. Yeah, I've been looked after. My owners, at, uh, when I was in, in Carroll, looked after me fantastically. And obviously here at uh, South United uh, Football Club, they're looking after me fantastically. So you've got to give your bit back and you've got to work, at, you've got to work hard. And I'm a big believer in working hard. You know, there's every, every stone is... Uh, turned over and looked at, you know, and we're trying to implement that into our players and our students and our coaches, you know, that you can travel, you can see the world by coaching and it can be exciting and it can be fun, but you still have to put the effort in and you still have to put the work effort in. Uh, I must say, like, like you know, that kid that's, that was in Salford kicking a ball around with his friends, did you ever think you'd end up uh, in Bangalore? <laughs> well, no, listen, not really, no, I, I, I never. Uh, but I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't groan, I won't moan, you know, I, I'm, still in the, I'm still in football, what I love. No matter what levels it at, I'm still in football. I'm in a different country, yes. Uh, I enjoy it. I've met some wonderful people over there, trust me, some beautiful, wonderful people. And I've been here five years, so it is like home for me now. It's like home. It's amazing. Um, so uh, obviously, like you, you mentioned there, that you you played for Ireland and stuff like that. So uh, your mum was from Sligo, I think, right? Uh, did, yeah, she was from. A, yeah, she was from a little place called Tubbacurry in Sligo. Did you, did you have like? Uh, did you have that Irish identity growing up as a as a kid? Sure, I did. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? I mean, you know, uh, it, all all the family was Irish. Uh, brothers, mum's sisters, mum's brothers. You know, cousins was all Irish. We used to. Uh, you know, my holiday was going over to Ireland, digging the bog, uh, you know, with, 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 with granddad and putting it on the back of the trailer and then, you know, walk, walking it up the road. So that was, that was my summers and kicking a ball around. But I loved it. it. You know, it was different. You was out in the fresh air. We wasn't on computers. We wasn't on laptops. We wasn't on phones. We was out in the fresh air running about climbing walls, climbing trees, you know, digging the bog, you know, jumping over hedges going out hunting. That's what, that's, what, that's what we did as kids. And it was great. And you learn a lot from that. You know, and then you sit all together as a family and you sing your Irish songs and you, you have a, an ease up. People are having a beer and you're dancing around. It was absolutely beautiful. So, you know, great fond memories growing up and traveling over to Ireland uh, over a lot of time. So, <clears throat> your, uh, I think your first game, your first home game came after, like, 
your fourth cap, I think, because I think your first couple were away from home. What was that first? What was that first game like at Lansdowne when you walked out onto the uh, the pitch and the crowd? And obviously, I mean, uh, it, it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, to say it's if you always want to play for your country as a young boy and all, you know, and you want to you want to try and implement your your style of play and what's what's got you there. You know, and I think Big Jack's seen something in me. Don't forget, I'd been through all the youth ranks from U16s all the way right up. And uh, I think it was a little bit overdue, but I got my chance. And I grabbed the chance by the scruff of the neck and I said to myself, listen, I've got a good chance there now. You know, work hard, play well. And the other thing, it was a distraction from your club football because maybe your club's not doing too well. You go over to Ireland, some great lads over there. You know, and it was like a, it was like one big family, and you, we we surely enjoyed it. And you, you see what Ireland did under Jack Charlton, uh, God bless his soul, uh, 88, 90, 94, and we just missed out on a couple of uh, European Championship uh, tournaments, 92 and 96 with Jack. Could you imagine Ireland going to all them? But uh, you know, three out of the five is not bad, is it? To tell you the truth, oh, uh, for size. Mm. considering Jack was going there the Englishman going in there and didn't give him a, uh, any sort of a chance what does he know about this country what does he know about football and he, and he proved he proved everybody uh, wrong what he done he got a group of lads together and he said look you want to play for your country we'll put you on the world map we'll put Ireland on the world map we'll put you as players on the world map and that's what he surely did so did it have that kind of uh, Wimbledon feel to it? Because, I mean, like it was always a... Mm. Uh, the the yeah. Ireland team always felt like it was us against the world kind of thing. Did, was, that, did, did, was it very similar? Yeah. Yeah, it was very similar. We, we, we actually played the same uh, style of, of football and also it was quite easy to adapt to it, you know. Uh, but Jack wanted it simple. You know, get at them. Don't make it easy for them. Get the ball in the box. Get it up to the big man. Get around him. But don't forget, we still had some fantastic players there. Andy Townsend, Ray Allen. Roy McKean, John Sheridan in, in midfield, Steve Staunton, you know, at the back, big Paul McGrath, Mick McCarthy, Kevin Moran, you know, Dave O'Leary when he played there, you know, Packy Bonner, up front now, Quinn, Tony Cascarino, John Aldridge, Jeez. you know, <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you can go on, on and on and then, you know, then the younger boys started coming in like Robbie Keane and all them, you know, it, it was a machine of football players and, the machine kept rolling because Jack was a father to us. He trusted us. You know, he trusted us to come over, all go together, all go out for a beer together and come back together, train hard, play the game on a Wednesday at two o'clock. And we, we never let him down. You know, yeah, we might have got beat in a game or two, but we put all effort into it and we, we tried not to let him down. And he can tell you we never let him down because of the big, massive tournaments he went to. Obviously, like the big one was uh, for yourself would have been USA '94. Um, you have to tell us like what was it like that day at Giant Stadium? Because uh, like obviously they'd be going into that tournament where one of the favourites for they had like some of the best players in the world like Baggio and, and stuff of that. Like and obviously once again you were playing the game where you were unfancied and stuff of that. Like what what was the what was the vibe like the, uh, on the day? Well, let, let's think about it. We. Uh, you know, I know friendlies don't really mean a lot, but for confidence, they do mean a lot. You know, we'd beat Holland, we'd beat Germany and Germany. Germany had been beating Germany for some six years, I think. Mm. And we beat them, we beat Holland uh, just prior to coming to the World Cup. So we was in good form, we was in good nick. You know, we was, 
we fancied our chances really bigly. Uh, I, I mean, on the day, I mean, listen, we, I mean, we, I walked out at Wembley when I was 21 years of age. I walked into the Giants, I think it was 98,000 fans. And it was like the, the, the stand just went up and it went up and it kept going up and it kept going up and it kept going up and I was thinking, wow. And then you just see, you know, uh, obviously the blue and white of Italy and the green, white and gold of Ireland all, all around. It was absolutely magnificent. And the noise, uh, you, I mean, you couldn't hear yourself talk. And I know players playing that them big stadiums now, your Barcelona's and they play all over the world now to get to travel. They'll feel the same thing. Uh, so for me, it was, can we, can we actually get one over them? But tactically, we was, we was fantastic. We was a chap played it tactically fantastic. He played 4-5-1. Everybody knew the roles and responsibilities. Everybody knew what he was doing. You know, we'd worked on things, but we didn't work on, on them a lot. You know, we worked on little things. And we had to stop Badgio. He was the main person we had to stop. We had to stop the source of the ball to him. And how was we going to do that? We was going to pack the midfield. As everybody knew, we was going to have an old midfield player just dropping in front of him wherever he went. And uh, obviously, big Paul McGrath, he had to get past big Paul McGrath and all. And he was absolutely brilliant that day. That like when when you're playing the game, like uh, do do you kind of look over because yeah, the, the game was live that day. As as a player playing beside him, do you look at him and go like, "Wow, Paul's on it today." <laughs> like, is, do, well, Paul, of... Paul, Paul, I don't think I, I can't remember Paul having a bad game to tell the truth when I when I was there. You know, don't forget this is a fellow who had a a couple of bad knees and all, and, and didn't really do a lot of training. He, he did a lot of bike work, so. For him to go out there, I mean, imagine if he didn't have his bad knees, what he would have been probably still playing now. He was an ox. He was an ox. He was strong as an ox. You know, he was he was big, powerful athlete. And it was just one, no one's getting past him today. Nobody was getting past uh, big Paul McGrath today. And that, and that was it. So uh, at the time, like um, I'm sure you know, like Eamon Dunphy and John Giles and all that kind of stuff, and especially Eamon Dunphy, he's a very vocal critic of Jack, Jack Charlton's style and all that kind of stuff. Well, like how tactically astute was Jack? Because I mean, like big games like that, like we just seem to always get it right. Jack just did it simple. It, it, you know what? He did it simple. He didn't expect anything from outer space. You know, he wasn't into all this. Uh, you know. We're going to play this person here. We're going to play that person there. We're going to play, you know, three in midfield. He just kept it simple. He played a simple 4-4-2 with the players he had. The players played it simple. And, and that was it, you know. But in this particular game against Italy, obviously he played one up front, packed the midfield. You know, he played a 4-5-1 and that was it. And when it went up front, we tried to hold it up and, and get support coming from uh, beneath the centre forward, who I think was uh, Tommy Coyne on that day. And it worked, it worked well. We, you know, we didn't get beat. We, we stuck in there. And yeah, good teams are going to have uh, chances. But I think, listen, how could you question Jack who'd won a World Cup, who managed that Sheffield Wednesday and Newcastle and Middlesbrough and just missed out Is on it? the England job? I, I mean, how, how, can, how can these people question his, his intelligence? I don't understand it. And play for the great Leeds team and all. <laughs> I don't understand it. And he went, he went to Ireland with what he had and he played what he thought was the simplest way to play. And we won games. We went to major tournaments, so it couldn't have been that bad. Yeah, like, I mean, like, we've never, we've, like, we've never matched that success of that, that, at that period. So, obviously, the man knew what he was up to, right? So, um, so as a player, like, do you, like, when you came off the pitch at the end of the, the joint stadium, 
do you, do you like do you feel like that it's a momentous game? Like do you do you have time to kind of soak all that in and, and say to yourself like this was incredible? Not really. It goes like a flash, doesn't it? You know, when you're there, it's it's like a flash, and it's it it was just it was just amazing. You know, you you finish the game, you're exhausted, you put all your effort into it, every last ounce of sweat and blood into it, and you're exhausted, and, and I'm on about exhaustion. Uh, and, and you're coming off the game, and all you want to do is just sit down, put a hot, uh, sorry, a cold towel around you, uh, get some fluids inside you, and just just savor the moment. You know, savor that moment. Maybe go back onto the pitch. You know, once you're dressed again, you've got your tracks onto the pitch. Have a one more last look, and then go back in again. And it, it's just about saving that moment and enjoying the moments because then moments don't come around an awful lot. You know, I played in one World Cup, it never come round again. So for me, it was just enjoying every moment of it, and and that's what we did. Amazing. And then uh, you, you got to be part of one of the most famous moments in Irish sporting history with um, John Aldridge and his freak out on the, the sideline <laughs> so in Florida. So did, did, you, did you see the commotion yourself from the pitch? Like, did you see what was happening? I think, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was a foul or something. I don't know what really happened. I think what, what, what was going on was uh, the uh, fourth, fourth official was, I don't know, he was putting the, the board up to make a substitute and he was messing about with it. John just wanted to get on and I don't know, he was messing about with the card or something. I, I, I don't really know because I was under, I was probably delirious myself because it was that hot to tell you the truth. Uh, so I don't really know what was going on. Uh, so I know Jack was trying to calm him down, little Charlie. Uh, the kit man was trying to <laughs> charm, calm him down, but he was having a right go. So he just wanted to get on the field early and, you know, and I think it was a little bit of time wasting going on in that and all. So, but, uh, you know, forever what it was, although fantastic, fantastic player. And I, I used to rib him a little bit about 1988. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he deserves it. So, <laughs> so uh, like, speak of that, as you said there, like the, the heat. Um, what was it like? Because, I mean, there's always the, the, the famous picture of Steve Staunton, like, dying on his feet and water being thrown on the pitch and stuff like that. What was it like? What's it like playing in that heat? Well, listen, we played a different style, didn't we? We, we? You know, we had to knock it about and get it forward early and get behind the ball and get up the pitch early. And, you know, and it, it was exhausting. Uh, you know, the other teams, they like to keep possession and knock it about. And that was that. Sorry, right. we all have different styles of play. It was immense. It, the, the heat was immense. I think down there in Orlando that day, it was, it was around about 140 on the pitch. Jesus To Christ. tell you the truth. You know, they're on about going off for water breaks now. Uh, it was about 140 on, on the pitch and I think there was an incident about Jack throwing water on and uh, we, we, tried, we nearly got into trouble for that he says well what do you want us to do you know the, the, we, we need to get water onto the boys otherwise this is going to the players are going to struggle you know I remember Tommy Coyne after the after the, one of the games just like we were flying back he just lay in the aisle so exhausted he was so ill and exhausted after the, after the game you know his heart, rate was going, his, heart, his heart rate was going through the roof you know, and it, it, it was really testing times. It was really, it was really tough. It was really tough. It was really hot and tough. And the way we played and all was 100 miles an hour. You know, and we closed down 100 miles an hour. Uh, so it was, it, it was tough. So, we, 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 you know, we got our rest. We, we, we got our fluids in. Uh, but, yeah, it was a very, very hot time down there then. So, uh, what do you think then of them, like, hosting the, the World Cup then in Qatar? Do you think that's a big mistake? Well, I think everybody knows 
everybody's opinion on that, don't they? You know, and what went on there. Obviously, it's going to be played in the winter now. You know, it's going to heat more with, with what's happening now. It's going to heat more problems in it. We've got next year, we've got the, the Euros. And then after that, we've got the uh, 2020, 2022 World Cup. It's going, to be, it's going to be testing times on players, you know. It's going to be very, very tough for players. Uh, but, but nowadays, players have got the best of everything. They've got the best sports science, which they should have. You know, we didn't have it when we was playing. I'm sure if we did have it, a lot of players would have played a lot longer. Uh, so, you know, I take me off to all them sports scientists out there and the doctors and the top surgeons for getting the top players back on the field. It's absolutely fantastic. But, uh, you know, for me, for what other reasons why it ha happened and why it's, why it's uh, down in Qatar, I, I, I wouldn't know. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to deliberate on it. But, uh, you know, it's there and we have, we have to go there as professionals. We have to go there and play there. You have to go with your country and play there. That's it. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it just, like, you know, obviously, like, seeing the pictures from that game in Florida, like, with Ireland and stuff like that, like, it, it just seems crazy that they're, even in the, the winter, it's still going to be incredibly hot there. It just seems that they're, like, the players are the ones who are losing out here in, in a way, right? It's like, as you said, it's going to be a lot more games for them and stuff like that. Well, yeah, it is, but at the end of the day, we, we have to go out there and play. That's what we get paid for. That's why we sign our contracts. That's why we play for our countries. You know, let's not take, let's not be uh, soft about it. We have to go out and play in all sorts of conditions, whether it's uh, rain, snow, sleet, wind. We go out there and play there. The fans are going to be in it and all. Obviously, you know, we, like I said before, they'll have the top, top doctors and the top sports scientists monitoring everything, you know, to make sure everything is spot on. And that's what it needs. So, uh, just um, one of my, my last questions here. Uh, I'm sure I could I could talk to you about football all day, man. To be honest. Uh, so you've got to play in the the, the playoff in in Anfield. What what was that atmosphere? It was like they transported part of Dublin over into Liverpool. What what was the uh, the atmosphere like at, at that game? Well, I think I think Liverpool's uh, three quarter Irish, anyway, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't would, would know, but. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, it was. We, we knew it was. Jack was coming to the end, and we, uh, you know, we did the team. Jack had built the team together. It was together an awful long time. <clears throat> we had a few. We had a few injuries there. I was playing out position. I was playing left wing. Dennis Irwin was playing left back. We had a, we had a few key uh, positions which you know players was injured, and we went into the game on high spirits. You know the emotions around with with Jack, and you know, but. We did have some injuries, and it was uh, it was it was going to be tough against the Dutch. It was it's always tough against the Dutch, anyway. To tell you the truth, the players they had, the array of players they had, and it it was tough. And we we just didn't have enough. We just just didn't have enough to to combat, and we, and we got beat two 0 And you've got to take your, your you know your hat off to uh, good teams and good players. If you get beat fair and square, you got to take your you know you got to you got to say listen, you beat square, fair and square there, and you, you you can't be harsh about it. You've got to be manly about it. And you've got to turn around and say to yourself, we had a chance. We had a chance in the group stages. We never took the chance in the group stages and we end up in a playoff. So it was us who failed. Uh, and we never failed on that night. We failed maybe too many draws, a couple of losses in, 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 the, in the, uh, the group stages. So did, after that game, we just like I'm sick of the bleeding sight of Holland because <laughs> obviously they'd knock us out of the World Cup as well. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, you always want to play against the best teams and the best players. You know, that's that. 
that's how you become the best yourself. You always want to test yourself and challenge yourself. So for me, it was always a challenge and it was, it was always great. Yeah, you have that, oh, here we go again kind of feel. But, you know, once it's over, you reflect on what you could have done better. You go home, you reflect, could I have done that better? Could I have done this better? Could the team maybe adapted a little bit better? But you can't legislate for injuries. Injuries happen. And if you have a couple of injuries to key players, then it does slow you down a little bit. But uh, no, Holland, fantastic team. Uh, wonderful, talented team with what they're doing with their academy stuff. Even back then, even now with Ajax and the philosophy they've got over there. You know, you see now resurgent now of the Dutch team coming back now with Van Dijk. You see that real uh, surgeons of a, of a top quality Dutch side again because they went missing for a few years. Now you're seeing it, you're seeing it come back a little bit now. Yeah, like they just, they just have... <clears throat> Like it's a conveyor belt of like players that just seem to come out. Like I mean, like it's uh, mm. the Ajax team that went so far in the Champions League last year. Like the players that run that team, it's just uh, incredible that they're able to do that. Um, so just just one final one. Uh, so we're big fans of Roy Keane here on the on the show. Um, obviously, he's portrayed as this kind of angry loner, all that kind of stuff. What what was he like around the squad when like obviously you, you were there for like a, a lot of, the, of his career? To be perfectly honest, right? I mean, like you were there when he started. Um, what was he like around the squad? Fantastic. He was a professional and he did it the professional way. Don't forget, he went to Manchester United, uh, you know, from Knox Forest. I think it was uh, 3.75 million. He went to Manchester United. <clears throat> he ended up being the captain of Manchester United and he wanted things done professionally. And that was right. And there's nothing wrong with that. You are a professional. You want to do it professionally, and he he give it out. If it wasn't done professionally, he give it out. You know, it was Roy. I never had a I never had a problem with Roy once. He was he was always funny. He always had a laugh and a joke. But when he went on the field, it, it, it had to be done right. And and little bits off the field, if it wasn't done right, he, he you know he had a go. But Roy's Roy, isn't it? He, he, he that's the way he is, and he 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 just tells it the way he is. You know, if he thinks something's wrong, he's, he's not gonna he's not gonna beat around the bush. He's gonna say, "Look, he was rubbish today. He shouldn't have been on the field," and that is it. Like he had to go the uh, hair. Listen, you should, you know, and it's right. It's it's right because you can't keep having mistakes, mistakes, and mistakes and mistakes. Something's got to be done about. And he's probably just telling the truth at the end of the day. You know, he's he can be harsh, but I'm sure. The punters want to hear that and all. They don't want just somebody sat there saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. If he's not doing the business, he's beloved Manchester United, then he's, he's going to tell them. Oh, it could be any player. And that, that's right for you. But I remember a story with Roy. I was, I'd, made, I'd met him in a, a, a coffee shop in Hell Village. And I was with a friend of mine and he, he said, oh, yeah, tell me, up for a, a, you know, a coffee and that. He said, I'll be there, I think, I think it was 10 o'clock. I'll be there at 10 o'clock, get yourself down there. And we, we hit a bit of traffic and I'm thinking, oh, it's five to <laughs> 10. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to get there, otherwise that's it. And my mate's driving and I'm saying, look, Pete, we have to get there. You know, we have to get there. Oh, seriously, just get me there. And we get there, it's like one minute to 10. Get out of the car, shut the car up. We find the parking space. We run up the stairs uh, to this, and we get there. It's it's thirty seconds past ten o'clock or something like that. And he looks at his watch. Oh he my god! Stare like that. <laughs> 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 he gives oh. you the stare, and 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 
and, and I looked at him and went, oh, come on, Roy, don't be starting. He went, oh, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> he was absolutely, absolutely, oh, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. 30 seconds late. But he was, he was, you know, I go, I go back, I go back with Roy, uh, you know, I, you know, we'd, we'd catch up for a, a beer of us ever in Manchester and, you know, he's playing for Manchester United or I was at City, Chelsea or Everton and fantastic. I, you know, I, I, I've got the ultimate respect for Roy. I don't care what anybody else says. I've got the ultimate respect for him. I, I'm not, I love watching him on the TV. I'm not bothered what he says. Uh, you know, he has done what he's done in the game. He's been fantastic, fantastic leader, fantastic, fantastic captain. They don't make him like him anymore, unfortunately, but the game has changed and all, hasn't it? So, for me, Roy was Roy, Roy was brilliant. No problem. And in the Ireland squad, he was, he was fantastic. I remember before we go, we was we was playing against Wales, uh, and me and Gary Speed. Gary Speed was I was playing for Everton, and Gary Speed was playing for Everton. He was the Everton captain, <clears throat> and we're going in for a challenge. It's a fifty-fifty ball, and Roy stops, and I'm going for a ball with Gary Speed. But the thing is, we're playing Manchester United on the Saturday. This is a Wednesday. We're playing Manchester United on the Saturday. So as me and Gary are going for the ball, he's playing for Wales, I'm playing for Ireland. We both stop and have a little toe tap of the ball. like. And Roy comes up and he goes, oh, what are you doing? Get, your, get yourself stuck in there. I says, no, I'm not going to injure my teammate because we're playing against you on Saturday. He went, oh, sorry, Kel. Oh man, I love it. But it's just that no. it's just that competitive spirit, I guess, right? And it's like as yeah. you said, it's Listen, I was very competitive in everything I did, you know, training, everything I did. So I know what I know what Roy was like. And uh, for me he was he was he was a fantastic bloke, very <clears throat> very loyal bloke, very homely bloke, very quiet, you know, gets around it and does his stuff uh, quietly. But effectively, and you know, you see him on telly now, and I think he's, I think he's hilarious. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, like I mean, he's, he's got like an incredibly dry wit, and uh, I, I watched the the off the ball special that he did with uh, Gary Neville there, which was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, he, 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 remember, he can tell, he can tell it's quite a story. Sorry, maybe, maybe it rubs off from uh, Brian Clough, doesn't it, a little bit? You know, maybe <laughs> it rubs off from Brian, Brian Clough a little bit because that's that's right for you, isn't it? Very. Very quiet speaking, lad, you know, speaks under with his eyes up. Like, once you get that stare, you know that uh, <laughs> uh, the, fun, the, the, the thunder's coming. <laughs> so uh, just watch this space and get out of the way. But he's great, boy. He's, 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 he's great. So um, just at the end of the show, we usually ask uh, people uh, just a couple of quick, little quick fire questions. So if you're going to play on a fireside tournament, uh, you can only pick players that you've played with. Who would be on your team? Obviously, Roy Keane, Paul McGrath. Uh, Roy Keane, Paul McGrath, uh, Gianfranco Zola. How many is that? That's One, two, three. Yeah, three. I've got two. I've got. I've got. Yeah. You can put a goalkeeper, and you can pick yourself. Yeah, you yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, goalkeeper Neville Southall, uh, and I need a. Uh, I need a front man. I think I'll put Mark Hughes up there. I, uh, Jesus Christ, that's... I had Liam Ridgewell on and he picked a pretty good team, man, but that's probably the best team we've had on here. That's, that's incredible. I think you might win. Uh, so, um, uh, your favourite pair of football boots you've ever owned? Oh, my favourite pair of football boots uh, was the a, a pair from Woolworths. My first, my first pair of football boots was from Woolworths for £5. They had red studs 
there was a, a, a copy of uh, the World Cup ones. There was my first, well, my second pair of boots, to tell you the truth. Uh, so there was, there was the ones that really started me off. Uh, but to tell you, other than that, you know, when you start getting sponsored, I think it was Asics Tigers was the best pair of boots I'd ever worn. They were, they were sweet. Um, mm. And the favourite jersey that uh, you've ever played in? <clears throat> All of them. All of them. That's Every a, one of them. That's a great Every one of them. That's a great Every answer. one of them. I, I, I can't pick one. Do We want to be football players. I wanted to be a football player. And, you know, even now I'm, I'm doing interviews all over the world because of, the, you know, uh, social media and the technology now. And I, I really love it. I think every shirt I pulled on, I tried to just give me all. And uh, I thank the Lord that uh, I ended up being a football player because... Some players dream of it and they don't get there, these young kids this day and age. And I can obviously say I got there and I played for some fantastic clubs, Leeds United, you know, Chelsea, Manchester City, Everton, Swansea, Wimbledon, Sheffield United, Fulham, uh, Crystal Palace. So, you know, every club I try to go to, I try to be exciting for the fans. I try to, you know, give them the, uh, the money's back you know, the, the the worth of money, what they paid for me really back in, in the, the way I played. Oh, you can definitely see it, man. Like, like every game, you, everybody knew you were giving 100%. And um, as, a, as an Ireland fan, like, you know, watching <laughs> you play for us, I, I know you always put your heart in your sleeve. So I, I yeah. we always really appreciated you playing for us. Um, so I, 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 I know that you, uh, you're most, you didn't score many goals and you scored that great. I'm a Tottenham fan, so that's why I didn't bring that goal up. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I, don't, bring the, don't, bring, don't bring the game up because you actually the game I know. <laughs> but that goal was incredible, though. And like, I, I, we just, yeah. The whole team just fell asleep. But yeah, that was probably one of the best goals of an Irish player ever play, uh, scored. So, Terry... Yeah. It's been an absolute. It's been an absolute honor talking to you, man. You're you're a yeah, legend, yeah. and um, I, I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck tonight on uh, with your makeup and uh, <laughs> have fun, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. It's a blessing. Thank you very much. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much to Terry for taking so much time out of his day to chat with us. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. We really do appreciate the support. We have the Island Games coming up, so stay tuned for some great CPL content. Don't forget to head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And until next time, cheers. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.